All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Happy Hump Day. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Jason Greer Show. I'm the sports leader, TSN 1260. As always, brought to you by PlayAlberta.ca, Alberta's only regulated online gambling website where uh, wonder 100% of the revenue stays right here in the province. If you do, go to PlayAlberta.ca. Be sure to use your game sense. Stay within your limit at gamesense.ab.ca. Memorial Cup. The, what's great about the Memorial Cup is just how unpredictable it is with teams that never play each other all year long. And uh, how many people thought going into last night that the Peterborough Peets were done? That, you know what, uh, they'd been spanked 10-2 uh, to 2 in their last game to Kamloops. Now they're playing the undefeated Quebec Ramparts. And Quebec was going to win and, and book themselves a guaranteed trip to the final. Mm, no. All of a sudden, Peterborough, they needed a win to stay alive, and now there's going to be a play-in game. And whoever loses tonight between Kamloops and Seattle will have to play that extra game, and, and that's massive. So uh, tonight's game, uh, where it looked like it might mean nothing, because had Peterborough lost last night, uh, this game really would have meant nothing, and uh, they would have faced each other again because Quebec would have been in first. So now nah, it's... It'll be fun. So uh, Struddy and his uh, former Kamloops Blazers, many of them will be in the uh, crowd tonight. Uh, will it be enough for the Blazers to get a victory over Seattle? We'll see about that. Uh, on the show, John Keane will join us to set that game up. Also, we'll do a little preview. The NBA final begins tomorrow. The Nuggets and the Heat. And, man, are they trying to do everything in their power to uh, downplay how good the Nuggets have been in the NBA playoffs. I see, oh, they haven't played anyone. Be- I'm like, what? Hey, you can only play the teams in front of you. And because they're spanking them, that's not their fault. Um, hey, the Heat, good for them. Big win. You know, they knocked off Milwaukee in the first round. They, they beat some good teams, no question about it. But uh, the Nuggets, they're really good. And the Nuggets, like, they, they got by Phoenix, man, who was, what, 11-1 and with Durant? It's not like they beat chump change, so... 
We'll talk about that. Uh, Mike Rupp will be by. Uh, Tyler Wright, the Order's uh, Director of Amateur Scouting and Player Personnel, will join us to talk about uh, the newest member of the uh, Edmonton Oilers as they made a trade today. They traded their fifth-round selection, which was 152nd pick overall, to the New York Rangers for the rights to Jaden Grube. Now, uh, Grube, of course, was the captain of the Red Deer Rebels. He was the 65th pick in 2021 third rounder he only played five games that year due to injury and he still was the third round pick and he comes off the uh, the injury and is uh draft year plus one coming out of covid where they didn't get to train a whole bunch and didn't have a great year last year or this past season is a 19 year old season pretty solid point of game player he, he's not a goal scorer or it hasn't been yet anyway more of a distributor of the puck Point-of-game player, was excellent. He was their leading scorer in the playoffs, which, you know what, as a 19-year-old, that's what you want. You want guys to put up some numbers. And he did. And so, you know what, I look at at this trade, and I feel like, okay, what's the difference in taking Groob now or a fifth-round selection? What are the odds either one plays? Fairly low if we're being, unfortunately, realistic. Because you don't know. If he'll play, but he's older. You, I think you have a better assessment of a player with way more views now than you do at 17. We'll ask Tyler Wright uh, about that and uh, how how much the three picks the orders have, they're, they're going to have to make them count. I do wonder, does, does Edmonton make their second round selection or they possibly trade back to get a few picks? Because a lot of times quantity matters in the draft. You, you want more kicks at the can, shall we say. In, in years where you have eight or nine picks, you just have a better chance of one or two of them hitting than if you only have three. It's just how it is. So, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes for the Edmonton Owners. So uh, Tyler Wright will join us to discuss that and, and this year's draft. Uh, Rashad will be by David Alter. Of course, it became official today. We've been touching on uh, the minute Kyle Dubas got let go, we felt like the the obvious guy to replace him was going to be Brad Treleman. When you looked at the available GMs out there, I thought Brad Treleman was the obvious one. I didn't think they were going to go with another rookie GM in Toronto. They went with the rookie GM the last time, and his first contracts that he signed really limited his future moves. He'd made a lot of other good future moves, but his negotiation with Tavares, Matthews, and Marner they all got maximum deals. Maximum. None of them are looked at and say, oh, geez, that's a little bit of a value contract. Man, they got a pretty good deal there. No, not at all. So with Matthews up, Nylander up, uh, well, technically July 1st is when you could announce a contract extension for those two, and then Marner the following year. I think they wanted a more experienced GM, and potentially one who would consider a significant trade. Because those are the options, right? You're either going to re-sign them or you're going to trade them. There's, there's no other option. It's not like there's option C and D and E. There's option A and option B. So it's, it wasn't surprising to me that they went with a veteran GM. Now, people say Brad Treleman didn't have a, a great track record. Okay. There, there's definitely some parts of it where you say, eh, not great. But how many GMs available would you say had a significantly better record? That, that to me, is the question. Who would you have hired that you felt like was clearly better? Now, there are some guys who have never been GMs. 
So maybe you want to give him a shot. But if you're the GM, if you're in Toronto, it's a pretty big hockey market, arguably the biggest hockey market in the league. Do you want a rookie GM? Obviously, Brandon Shanahan said no. But would you have been comfortable with it? I don't see. Uh, I don't see how you could, to be honest. So uh, we'll get to that. Um, got a lot of texts coming in already on uh, the group trade. Uh, why would the orders make this trade? They just gave up a draft pick for a guy who hasn't dominated the WHL level. Well, a point of game player, more than a point of game player in the playoffs, competes hard, right? Keep in mind, you gave up a fifth round pick. What are you What are you looking to 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 land in the fifth round? Like, if, if you go through the uh, the Edmonton Orders draft history, and you say, okay, fifth round picks for the Edmonton Orders, which ones have uh, have panned out? Can you think of any off the top of your head? Ethan Bear would be one. Ethan Bears played 250 games. That's a solid fifth-round selection. Any others off the top of your head that you would say, oh, that's a pretty good fifth-round pick? Now, you want to say that Edmonton had terrible drafting, but if you go through every year of the NHL draft and you find, well, how many fifth-rounders became significant players in the NHL? It's not a lot. Right, because it's the A, it's it's hard to find uh, late round picks. Every team does it, it, in different ones, different times. But honestly, I'm I'm going back and I'm I'm racking my brain. I'm trying to think of other fifth round picks. I think I got to double check, but I'm pretty sure Jason Shamara is the best fifth round selection the owners ever made. He played what did he play? Eleven hundred plus games. I'm pretty sure he's a fifth rounder. In uh, ninety. Collins, can you look that up? 1997, I think that's when he was a fifth-rounder, but I could be wrong. So uh, let me know on that. I'm trying to think of any other um, fifth-round picks. Now, maybe in the 90s and 80s, you know, that's when they're bringing over some European players. Um, so I'm trying to think of other guys off the top of my head that were late mid-round picks. Uh, Joseph Baranek, I can't remember if him and Miro, were they fourth or fifth-rounders? But they're right in the, and and considering, you know, the number was a little bit higher back then, right? So fifth rounder today starts at like 125. So how many of those guys? I guess Seminoff would fall into that range if I'm looking at numbers now. So it's probably not fair to go on draft years based on on, on where they're played. But I'm pretty sure that Chimera was taken in like the 130 or 120 late 20s around there. Yeah, 121, Gregor, and uh, okay, Miro Satan was another what one. What year was he drafted? 97. Woo! All right, all right. Can you name anyone else from that draft class? Because I don't think you want to. From the orders? Yeah. In 1997? I'll tell you this. 19... Well, that's that's when they had the Swiss miss at first, right? Yeah, 19 games were played by that draft class outside of Chimera. 19. By, by uh, Michael Reason? He had 12, and then Peter Sarno played seven games. Peter Sarno. The rest oh. of the draft class, outside of Chimera, none. Never played a game. Yowzer. Great fifth-round pick, though. Okay. But the 96 draft was actually good. Isn't that where they got Devereaux? And yeah. Fernando Pisani was a 96, and I think he was like an eighth-rounder. Um, and uh, Tom Pody in that draft class, too? Yeah. Very good career there. 
Well, so yeah, but 97 outside. So Shamara basically uh, salvaged the whole thing. And, and really, if you look at a lot of draft years, sometimes, you know, if you can get two players in a draft year to become like solid NHLers, that's a really good draft year. It's unreal. Like early on, that's why the Oilers won the cup because their early drafts when you had Lowe and Messier and Anderson, right? They're all three Hall of Famers. Like, are you kidding me? That's, it's freakish. It doesn't happen, right? Then you had Curry and Coffee and Andy Moog. So yeah. Uh, and then who they have the next year? I think it was Fuhrer and Steve Smith. Yep. Right? So pretty good. All right. Mark Hapshot, I think, was in Smith's class too. So. And then if you just on the flip side, 1990. You ever look at that draft class? Well, didn't they have nobody play? Nobody played. Not one yeah. single game. Yeah, I think that's one of the few. It might be considered what well, it is. Like Scott, that was the Scott Allison draft. Yeah. Yeah, that was... Uh, that was that was like Barry Fraser is almost kind of packed. Like they went Jason Souls, and he even told them he didn't want to play hockey anymore, and they still took him in the first round. Oof. Right, that was and it was Kim Issel, Joe Hulbit. God, they had a stretch there where it was pretty uh, slim pickings. Issel wouldn't have been like mid to mid eighties. Like now the orders were so good, but you think about it, it could have even been better. Just hit on a summer, you just have some of them pan out. But you weren't gonna, like there was almost no point really, in in the early 80s. But in the mid-80s, you know, you still want to make your picks last because even if they don't play for Edmonton, you could have traded them, right? So, but I don't I don't see much of a risk in, in this trade. Now, someone will say, hey, Gregor, why wouldn't they have just kept the fifth rounder and traded it for an NHL player at the draft? Wouldn't that be better? Well, yeah. In theory, you're right. In theory, if they could have traded a fifth rounder at the draft for an NHL player, and it's happened before, right? I still remember the one trade that I, that I hated at the time. I was on the draft floor when the Oilers traded Kyle Brodziak for those two picks. Terrible. Because I thought Brodziak was going to play. I didn't think he'd play 900 games, I'll be honest. But I thought Brodziak was a player already. You know, big, right-handed shot, and win face-off. Guy had a really solid NHL career. But I've talked to Kyle about it, and he kind of admitted that, you know, well, it wasn't the best. He didn't think it was the best at the time. It turned out that the trade out of Edmonton, away from his buddies and stuff, did help him in his career a little bit for sure. So, hey, guys, what about Marino? What round was he? Well, he was after Bear, so he was a sixth rounder. Right, now, he's here's a situation where John Marino was drafted, and by the time he came out of college, he was drafted by Peter Shirelli, and he was an American who wanted to play in the States. And so they, they traded him for his rights, basically like the Rangers are right now. Now, a little bit different here. I, you know, I, I sniffed around and asked about Groob and, and got some, some thoughts on him. And, you know, he, he only played five games as drafter. So the Rangers, despite only playing five games, are pretty high in him. Then, you know, coming out of COVID in the following year, he didn't have a great season. And at Christmas time, his agent and the Rangers had talked and they weren't sure they were going to sign him. Well, that's not great news for a player, right? You're a third-round pick. Most third-round picks, not all, but most get signed. So now you're like, geez, the organization doesn't really want me. Then he has an unreal playoff. And the Rangers are like, well, geez, maybe now we're interested. And so I, I couldn't get 100% confirmation, but I for wonder, it was like, well, hey, a month ago you guys didn't want me. Maybe I'm better off getting a second opinion. And so, you know, his name had been out there for a while as somebody who was, if you want to trade for his rights, you could have. And uh, the orders ended up stepping up doing it. 
They give up a fifth rounder. They get a player who's two years older, who they like his character. And, you know, obviously they talk to Brad Sutter about him. He knows him very well. And, you know, he's not a guy who's going to be a, a high offensive player. But how many guys are you drafting in the fifth round? Like Jason Schmer, I mentioned, he had a really good year. Jason Schmer was never a top six forward. He was a really good bottom six forward. Nothing wrong with that. So if you feel that group can become a bottom six forward, then you then you make the trade, and that's kind of what you see. But very few fifth rounders are going to be guys. There's some, yes. If you want to pick out, hey, once in ten years this guy came, like Jamie Ben. I'm sure we'll get texts about Jamie Ben. Yes, Jamie Ben panned out. Right, awesome for him. Awesome for uh, for Dallas to, to make that pick, and, and probably better for you know for Jamie Ben just to continue to develop and become a really solid player. Right, and if you look at Ben when he was drafted, right, he wasn't playing major junior. He was drafted out of uh, junior A. Played a, that probably had a factor. Then the next season he went to the WHL. Pretty good player. So you know that's just that's one where do. That's a great example that Jamie Ben, if you look at his just pure numbers, Jamie Ben was skilled enough to be drafted higher. He also had a big growth spurt. That helped. But teams looked and said, well, Junior A, how do we evaluate him? Even still, what was he, 2006? No, I think it's 2007. I think he's 2007 draft. I think he's a Gagne draft. And... There's still going to be some guys that slip every year. I watched the draft, and, and for a stretch there, for about three or four years, I don't study it nearly as much as I used to, but I studied it in depth, and I watched players, and I saw guys who were getting drafted still by lots of different teams, and I don't care who you are. If you think you're an analytics-based organization, they all make mistakes of the draft. You want to know why? Because they're drafting 17- and 18-year-old kids. And you, even then, outside of a select few, you're really drafting on hope because you don't know. Because we can go through every draft year. You can see some number one picks. You can see some number five picks, some 10, 50, and they don't pan out. Now, when you make a, a Yessi Nidamaki reach like the orders did in 2002, you have no one to blame but yourself because that was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Hey, guys, what happens with Spistola? Do you think the Orders sign him, Sonny, in Vancouver? I do not. Uh, I don't think that they will sign him. I, I think, keep in mind, he was drafted in 2019. It's four years ago. I, 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 I'd i be surprised at this point. Hey, guys, Shamir is the exact player I see when I watch Dylan Holloway from Randy. Um, Jason Shamir became that player, but you got to remember, and we've had Shimmer on the show, when Jason Shamir was, he was like 5'8". He was very tiny, and then he filled out, and he became like 220 pounds. He could skate like the wind. Now, he could always skate like the wind, but he had a huge growth spurt. Um, if Dylan Holloway has a Jason Shamara career, you should do cartwheels. Honestly, does anybody think Ethan Morrow had a bad career? No, right? When you, Even outside of the top 10 draft picks, if you go through every draft year, you get to guys outside of the top 10, majority of them are not top-line players, right? They just aren't. You, you, you have a few sprinkled in, 
But just go, let's go through, um, and then we've got to take a quick break. But just because I'm always intrigued by it, and, and I think sometimes people have unrealistic expectations of draft. Oh, he's a first-rounder. Not all first-rounders are the same. Okay? So let's go back. I think you got to go long enough. Let's even go to, uh, to Taylor Hall's draft class. Right? You look at guys in the, uh, in the middle. It's solid careers. Jaden Schwartz, solid player. Derek Forbort, decent. Vladi Tarasenko, pretty good. Right? Joey Hishon, Austin Watson, Nick Bukestad, Bo Bennett, Riley Shahan, Jared Tenorti, Mark Pissick, Quinton Howden. Now, then you get to Kevin Hayes and Evgeny Kuznetsov, 24, 25. Right? Then Mark Visentine, Charlie Coyle, good pick at 28. Emerson Edom, Brock Nelson, solid pick at 30. But, like, the best guys in that first round are still Hall and Sagan. You know, when you look at points, they're one, two. Jeff Skinner, seventh. Ryan Johansson, fourth. Now, he's overpaid, but he's still got the fifth most points from his draft class. Right now, Mark Stone came out of nowhere. He's, people didn't like his skating. It's really panned out. He was like a sixth rounder. So, but if, if you're thinking like big time players, it's, you know, we can go through every draft class and do this. Just as a reminder, Dylan Holloway's not going to be McDavid or Dry Settle because he wasn't a top three pick. And even all top three picks aren't created even. But I'll say this if Dylan Holloway can play 1,100 games in the NHL, that will turn out to be a really solid pick. Really solid pick. Quick break. We'll come back and I'm to Sports Leader TSN 1260. Uh, Gazzola will join us and more on the Gregor Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca. 323. I'm to Sports Leader TSN 1260. Hey, guys, I don't mind the trade, but Groob's rights expire tomorrow, so the owners could have scooped them up for free if they waited. Uh, no, that's incorrect. He would have just went back into the draft. That's why they made the trade and uh, expect a, a contract announcement before 3 o'clock tomorrow with uh, the orders and group otherwise you have to sign them by june 1st at uh, 3 p.m mountain time and uh, obviously that will occur in the uh, next 24 hours Gregor, he has signed a three-year entry-level deal no oh, there you go just came out see makes even more sense so <laughs> you, you, they weren't making that deal uh, you know and Unless they uh, they had that, so that was kind of the uh, the obvious one. So a uh, three year entry level deal. He'll be a, now he turned twenty. I've seen a lot of people saying Gregor is his twenty year old. No, it wasn't. He's turned twenty this year. He could play as a twenty year old in the WHL this season. All right, he's a two thousand three birth year, not a two thousand two. So this was his nineteenth year. As you know, as long as you turn as long as you're nineteen by December first, it's your nineteenth year. Right? If you're late birthday. Sure, you turn 19 on December 31st. Some guy turns 19 January 1st. Guess what? You're both in your 19th year. That's how it goes. Let's get to the Chronicles now, brought to you by Action Electrical, family-run business with over 50 years' experience, and uh, they just keep growing. They have purchased Big Hill Electrical out of Cochrane, so they can provide service to all of Alberta now. Go to actionelectrical.net. They can help you out, save you a lot of money. This is uh, Tom Gazzola joins us. Uh, Tom, where do you come out on this uh, trade today by the orders? Uh, restocking the shelves, Greg's. Uh, trying to get more young blood into uh, the system and uh, a player that uh, is hard-nosed and, and certainly plays a certain way and has a penchant for uh, scoring goals like greasy ones in and around the net but can also fire them home as well. So this is a big-body centerman that, you know, is a few years down the road and 
they obviously identified him as a guy that they like and uh, went out and made that trade with the Rangers, who he wasn't going to sign with. And then they subsequently made the uh, the deal happen really quickly. So, um, good. I mean, they need to, to bring in more young bodies to eventually get to Bakersfield and they can develop them and then start to replenish the NHL level because we know that uh, guys come in waves in the National Hockey League and pro hockey. So they like him. Let's see where he goes from here. Here's the thing. Who, who knows? Mose, I've done all the number crunch, and I look at the odds of third and fourth and fifth round picks, and you know, you're talking 10, 12, 14%, depending on what part of the third round you're in or not, and up to the fourth and fifth. And again, those are just averages. So, hey, we'll see what pans out. He, he was a player who only played, played five games his draft year, you know, then there was COVID and. You know, so I think a lot of those players, it's hard to compare them for those who like to use the draft plus one or draft plus two years for players. I think guys who are going through that COVID stuff, you, you just can't compare them straight across the board and lump them into the general of the previous 20-plus years of draft picks because they never went through that. Yeah. Like A lot of them didn't get to skate or train how all these other kids do. And so if you just simply are a big believer in the uh, practice makes perfect – and you need hours to hone your skills, if you're not getting to do that, guess what? It might take you a little bit longer than, on average, players in previous years have. Yeah, Greg, you make a good point there about uh, the COVID years, and I think you know we all kind of mulled it over and talked about it while we had all those months off to figure out what was going to happen with junior hockey, and this is it. Now we're going to start to see, now that we're a couple years out from the, the pandemic and the missed years, we're going to start to see which guys can actually uh, be found as diamonds in the rough and which guys are quote-unquote late bloomers. Um, I think we're going to see more of them just because of what has happened with COVID. Now, let's uh, let's go to a few other uh, news and notes around the NHL. Brad Treleman uh, gets the job. Not a real surprise, I think, to anybody who is following it, looking at available candidates and everything like that. So, um, you know, we'll see how it goes. But... Um, I look at at this hiring, and I'm like, there's a lot that has to be decided in Toronto here. Does he, does he stick with what he has? Does he make a significant move? And does he find out like, does Matthews and Nylander are they willing to sign extensions? Good luck, Brad Trey Living. Um, obviously, he's been around long enough that he feels he can handle a situation like this. He's been through. Uh, dealing with a couple of guys walking away or saying that they didn't want to stay in Calgary and. I'm sure he's going to use use that uh, experience to try to figure out what he wants to do with this Maple Leafs team. Greg, the people that joke around about Drysaddle and McDavid are not even joke, but take shots at Edmonton and say, hey, the Oilers aren't going to be able to keep these guys around, uh, and then turn around and believe Toronto's going to be able to keep Matthews and Nylander and Marner and all these guys. I, I think that that's a silly argument. I don't think that um, Matthews is likelier to stay in Toronto more than Ed- Edmonton's able to keep McDavid and Drysaddle. Like, I think, if anything, Matthews would be the guy that would walk, and that's up to Brad Trey Living to make sure that doesn't happen. Well, you find out. Um, you know, the minute the, they were knocked out of the playoffs, I said, hey, Carolina's going to go in. I said, hey, the one guy that makes sense for Carolina would be Mitch Marner. If you're looking for a trade piece, you know, they just need somebody who's a point producer. He's a point producer. He's not a shooter, but he's a point producer. And so, like, I'll be curious. Brad Sherman has shown that, hey, he's not afraid to, to make a big trade. 
you know, I, I think it's a little – did Florida win the trade in year one? 100%. We'll see what happens over the next few years. Uh, I think uh, Weger, uh without Daryl Sutter around and Huberto, both of them are going to be better than what they were last year. You know, they still have that first-round pick that obviously is going to take many years to find out if it's good or not. So, um, but, you know, we'll kind of see uh, where they're at in that one. But I think Treleman showed there that he's, you know, hey, he's not afraid to make a big move. And so the big move standing pat – could be considered a big move in my eyes because you just say, you know what, we're going to stick through our guys, and that might not be the wrong decision. We'll have to wait and see. No. Well, I mean, the next head coach, too, will be important in all of this, get the buy-in. They're going to have to change up some of the makeup if he even gets those guys to stand pat. And then uh, we'll watch what unfolds in in Toronto and what kind of drama, you know, takes place because no matter what, there's always drama there. But the bottom line is he's starting with a really good team. And it's up to him to distinguish what needs to stay and what needs to go. Who wants to stay? Who wants to go? Um, and if if he gets an indicator from one of those big players that maybe they want out, don't waste time. Make it happen quickly and make sure you get a good return to keep this thing afloat for the Toronto Maple Leafs because they are in a window themselves. You know, we could laugh at them as much as we want, but they truly are right up there and we'll see what he does with it. But Interesting move by the Leafs, and uh, we'll see where this team goes from uh, here. But Brad Trey Living is a good man, a uh, smart guy, and I don't think he's one of those guys that uh, plays everything from the hip and, and just goes off of whims, Greg's. I think he's one of those guys that pays attention, listens to the staff around him, and has a good feel for the people and, and everyone in, in the organization from top to bottom uh, to get a sense and read on, on the guys that are going out there on the ice and the guys that are making the decisions on the bench. So. Um, you know what, this is going to be an interesting move. A good man that uh, has a lot on his plate now with the Toronto Maple Leafs, maybe more so than he did in Calgary, but let's see where it goes. Tommy, the Denver Nuggets right now, man, you go on ESPN and it's like they're doing anything to downplay the Nuggets' success. It's kind of surprised me. I like they're they're coming out with every statistic to show that the Nuggets, they've had like the easiest run. They're not very good. I'm just kind of like, what is happening? Uh, they're on their way to a potential championship. I don't understand some of the narrative that that comes out about teams. Uh, so-and-so can't win. This guy uh, has never done it before. They're inexperienced. Like, Miami almost blew a lead to Boston and, and lost and almost lost the game. They didn't, obviously. It was kind of moot point in the end. But, you know, Miami let it slip. You have the Nuggets that have uh, cruised. And you got to be pretty damn good to make that happen. So to discount them, I think, is a bit silly. How they handle their time off uh, will be interesting. But, um, Greg, I, I, maybe we're in for a really good series. I don't know. But it has been uh, pretty successful for Denver so far. And everyone's talking about the Joker. But I don't know why people want to – maybe we overanalyze teams like that. I think we're guilty of it at times, too, in hockey, especially with prospects and all of that. Um, I would expect Denver to have a, a nice and pleasant – NBA Finals, and, and I do think they are going to win, but I know I was joking about Miami and having the Panthers in the Heat in the Finals and who I think has a better chance of winning. I still think Miami in the NBA has a better chance of winning than uh, Miami in the NHL. Very interesting, buddy. Um, uh, now, Tommy, how is your, uh, how's your golf game? Uh, it was bad. I played my first round the other day like when I was doing the Chronicles, and uh, my Drives were nice, the approaches were okay, but everything around the green was an absolute mess. 
<laughs> nice, nice. Well, uh, my uh, my golf season is uh, is beginning on Friday, so I uh, um, I've well, my interest in golf has waned, although my son's interest has piqued mine. So that's uh, where it goes. But I'm uh, you know I always like to golf and sc- the funny part is my usually my best round of the year is my first round. I have no idea why, but I always golf really well in the first round of the year. I can't understand it. What about you? Uh, I'm a bad starter, and it, it gets better the more I practice and the more I play. So I'm kind of the flip side of that. But, Greg, I think more importantly, are you and I going to defend our title at the Action Electrical Golf Tournament this summer? Oh, are they scared to bring us back? But, uh, yeah, hey, if, uh, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be back. I'm a big believer, and it's hard to repeat, Tom. It's hard to repeat. Anybody can win once. Repeating is difficult. Well, I'm up for the challenge if you are. I'm in. I would definitely do it. So there you go. Tommy, have yourself a wonderful Wednesday. Enjoy the heat. Sounds good. See you tomorrow, Greg. That's uh, Tom Gazzone, The Chronicles, brought to you by Action Electrical. And uh, speaking of golf, uh, if you want to uh, tee it up this Friday at uh, one of the uh, the more fun golf tournaments around, uh, smash out uh, MS. They've uh, they've raised over $220,000 for uh, MS Research. And uh, you have the opportunity. Uh, we have a foursome. Uh, I'll be the fifthsome, so we'll have an advantage. There'll be uh, four of you to uh, golf with me on uh, Friday at the ranch. And this includes your golf. Uh, it includes breakfast. Uh, includes uh, two free drink tickets for each person, uh, steak dinner, and it includes the golden ticket. And so, what the golden ticket is, and usually, and that's you know, that's fifty bucks a person. You pay for your golden ticket, and then you get to go in every contest on the course the whole day. Well, guess what? This will be the golf with the golden ticket for you. You can chance to uh, to win prizes and and lots of other things, and some really good prizes out there. So, if you uh, want to have some fun, it's the twelfth annual. I've golfed in this every year. I, I will say this though. If you don't like to have fun at the golf course, don't bid on this one. Because this, this tournament is, is very fun. Um, Dr. Scott puts on a very good tournament. There's like, there's like Maui gym. Like you can win like Maui gym sunglasses. Like there's lots of good stuff on this tournament. So it's all for charity. If you want to bid four of you, get your buddies together and we'll play together this Friday. We'll tee it up. It's a, and you know, it's an early, it's an early tee off, which I like. Get out there early. It's not going to be too uh, hot. Eight in the morning. All right. Get there. We have breakfast before. And then we'll uh, tee it up and we'll have a lot of fun. The ranch is in great condition right now. Um, I played that course many times and know all the little secret spots to hit. I can't necessarily hit them, but I know where you're supposed to hit. So that's good. So if you want in, you can text in at 10 12 60 or call Connor at 444 So it's all for MS. And uh, four of you and me will tee it up on Friday. We'll have a good time. So text in at 10, 12, 60. Take a quick break. We'll return to the Gregor Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca. 245. Welcome back to the Gregor Show. I'm Vince Sports Theater, TSN 1260. How are you? Dan came in at uh, 500. And now Michelle, who is uh, an MS fighter, is uh, in at 650. Nice. I love it. So uh, we're off and running. It's uh, Smash Out MS this Friday at the ranch. It's a foursome uh, up for bids. All the money's going to go to uh, Smash Out MS. So basically, it's all going right to, to MS, which is awesome. And uh, the four of you uh, will tee it up with myself. We will uh, we'll have lots of fun. I can tell you that. I can guarantee you that. 
I always like to bring a few prizes myself for the foursome, so make it a little bit uh, extra nice. And you will get uh, your golf. You will also get the gold ticket, which allows you to play in all and enter all the prizes the whole day. Usually that's about 50 bucks a person, so there's an extra 200 each. In that, also you get uh, two drink ticks per person for showing up. And uh, we get a fivesome instead of a foursome, so better chance to uh, potentially win. Who knows? So I'm a really good scramble player, much better than I am an individual player. So I like it. It'll be a lot of fun. So if you want in this Friday, text in at 10 or call Connor at 444-1260. Uh, Michelle has it right now at uh, $650. Let's get to our uh, Memorial Cup report brought to you by All Tech Supply, strength through distribution. The only retail or sorry, the only Canadian-owned Valve Master Distributor that exclusively supports your local retail supply store. That's alltechsupply.com. As uh, John Keane joins us from Kamloops, where uh, suddenly, going into last night, most people thought tonight's game would mean nothing, but that's what's great about hockey, great about sports. You never know. Suddenly, the Peterborough Peets, who looked brutal in their first two games, they knock off the undefeated Quebec Ramparts, and now the loser of tonight's game will have to play a play-in game to get in. So there's lots on the line between Seattle and Kamloops. So it should uh, make tonight's game even better. Uh, John, welcome to the show. And, man, you got to love the format. This is why they made it. And so uh, suddenly tonight's game matters a lot because the loser is going to have to play three games to, you know, if they want to win the whole thing rather than potentially two. So that's a big difference. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's the tiebreaker, and, and we haven't seen one uh, in the WHL or in the CHL, I should say, Memorial Cup since 2015. So you don't want to go that route because uh, that's a long road. That's three games and three nights just to get into Sunday's final. And uh, I know both teams have, have stressed this game as a, as a high-stakes one for sure. Yeah. So so you look at this matchup, and they, of course, met each other in the regular season and the postseason. Uh, Seattle, of course, came away victorious. What is Kamloops? In one game, everything's different, John. So where do you see as positive matchups for Kamloops in this game? Well, you know, Seattle is the is the visiting, or I should say, the home team tonight. So they have last change in our building, which is sure uh, a little bit of a, a different uh, feel. You're, you're used to being able to sort of counter that Gunther, Lambert, Schaefer line, all the first round picks. Uh, you know, with your top top pairing, if you can. Um, so it, when you look at it, that that's important for sure. Uh, but I, I think the Blazers have to play how they played against Peterborough. They came out, it didn't matter who was on the ice, they hit everybody inside, they forechecked, they created turnovers, and they rode that home crowd. Like, it was electric in that uh, rink against Peterborough. You know, they jumped out to the 3 nothing lead after one and kept on rolling. I, I think, you know, on paper, Seattle, uh, they're a great team, and on paper they have an edge, but this game is at the Sandman Center. They'll be 5,500-plus, and, uh, and the Blazers have to use that for sure tonight. Well, and there's there's lots of former Blazers in town, including our own uh, co-host yeah. uh, Jason Strudwick. So uh, I know there'll be, you know, be a big contingent of them. How is you know, the Blazers haven't won the Memorial Cup since well since Struddy was there, goodness sakes, in '95? In I, I know there's lots of former Blazers coming back to to kind of talk about those three uh, Memorial Cups they won in a four year span. Uh, how's it been with seeing all the former Blazers around? 
Yeah, we had Struddy on the show last night. He popped by for an intermission. Uh, it was great, as per usual. Uh, he mentioned really his first time back uh, since winning in 95. And uh, the alumni here is, is so strong. You know, like, you know, you're shaking hands with Jason Strudwick and, you know, Shane Doan walks by. Uh, and then you're you're leaving their suite and, and you, you bump into Jerome McGinley. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's really strong. And uh, it's been great to have everybody back. And, of course, we always talk about – you know, those 92, 94, 95 teams, and, and rightfully so, three Memorial Cups in four years. That's never been done except the, the Blazers. And, you know, not only that, but this those that group of guys rattled up 12 straight wins in the Memorial Cup tournaments. In fact, this year's edition had a 12-game a Memorial Cup winning streak here to defend going into the opener against Quebec. I mean, it's really just spectacular what they did. It's a lot of, you know, Alberta boys and, and Edmonton area uh, contingent. And, uh, yeah, they're everywhere right now, and it's awesome. Like, they've come back to support this team uh the ownership group appreciates it and and not only just support it like get involved like they're, they're doing you know hot stove uh conferences and and things with the fans and and they're, they're involved like it's just not like sit in the suite and and have your um, you know your your beverage and your your appetizer like they're 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 at it and it's great to see now speaking of the blazers they lose eight three in the first game how much of that was rust, and then they come back and they crush Peterborough ten to two? So you know, two very different games, right? You lose by five, you win by eight. <laughs> You're not going to get much difference in a span of forty-eight hours like they've had. What what did you see that was so drastically different between those two games from a Camus perspective? Well, it was seventeen nights off, and I honestly think that it was a bit of, a bit of stage fright almost like we talked about this tournament for over a year it was awarded just over a year ago but before that the Blazers were putting in place the pieces to be able to you know make a bid and go for it so it's been a few years now and I think you have all that lead up you, you haven't played in 17 days and, and all of a sudden you know it's here and let's give credit to Quebec they are a good team they're quick they're fast they're the fastest team here easily up front and uh, they jumped on some mistakes uh, and and sort of uh, took over that game in the third period with a, a couple of goals in garbage time. But but uh, that that was I think a bit of a dip your toe in the water moment for the Blazers. But they came back as you mentioned and they said okay that's in the rearview mirror here. I mean that the guys we, we need to be better. I, we need to do it tonight. It was uh, virtually a, a must win type of feeling and they delivered that on a Peterborough team that they caught playing on back to back nights, uh, which probably helped that assault just a little bit more. So you look at this; these two teams met, of course, in the, in late April, early May, uh, basically what uh, three weeks ago, let's say, and yeah. uh, and Seattle did win uh, the the series in six games. You know, there was lots of close games, uh, excluding maybe Game Four was really the only kind of not close one that was eight to four. Um, as you see this matchup specifically, like Seattle's got a lot of depth; they loaded up just just like Kamloops did. But if you're going to beat Seattle from a Kamloops viewpoint, what do they have to do tonight that they weren't able to do in that series? Well, it, it, like you said, that was a series and, and the games in Kamloops actually, uh, they played four times uh, here since March and the Blazers are 2-2 two and two against them at the Sandman Center. They played nine times since March overall and the Blazers are 4-5 and five in that. So re- really uh, I, I mean, they're right there and, and in a one-game situation like this, what do they need to do? Well, they need to play almost a perfect game, I think. Uh, Seattle uh, is loaded up front. I think the fact because there are so many of these TV timeouts, there's three uh, per period, 
that usually you don't have in the WHL because this is a nationally televised event. I think it really allows you to maybe roll on a maybe nine, ten forwards and four defensemen. And I think that helps the Blazers in this matchup because Seattle at one point had a, a 94-point guy in their fourth line. So uh, it's a thing where I, I think maybe it shortens the benches a little bit, and that may play into it. The Blazers have, I think, the best defenseman in the country in Olin Zellweger. He may yep. play 30, 35 minutes this evening, and it's going to be an interesting matchup. Yeah, he is dynamic player. There's no question about it. Um, uh, give me your thoughts though on last night's game, John. And you know, how shocked were you that Peterborough was able to pull off that victory? And did Quebec take them lightly, or did Peterborough just maybe find their their West Coast legs finally? There has been some interesting uh, media scrums with Patrick Waugh this week here, head coach of the Ramparts. And um, I reminded him of some history uh, of the Memorial Cup uh, back in 2009 when the Kelowna Rockets were in a similar spot and already clinched first place uh, like uh, Quebec did going into to last night's game. And they played Windsor, a team that needed to win to force a tiebreaker. And sure enough, they beat Kelowna. They go to the tiebreaker, they win the tiebreaker, they win the semi, and then they go meet Kelowna again in the final and beat them in 09. So that was a history lesson. I don't think he really wanted to hear from me. He said it was very nice that I gave him that history lesson, but uh, he was focused on winning that game. But you know, you know that when a team has to win against a team that has nothing to play for, that is a massive equalization factor. So uh, I'm not surprised. I mean, this is junior hockey, and uh, Peterborough was playing for their entire season after being together for over 100 games, uh, and and they came and won that game. Uh, it was disappointing, I'm sure, for both the Blazers and Seattle, but that was the case. But uh, that's the, the hand that was dealt, and you know both these teams will deal with that now tonight and, and perhaps on Friday. Uh, John, give us uh, so the rundown basically tonight is uh, whoever loses tonight plays tomorrow in the tiebreaker. Then they got to play in the semi on uh, Friday. But Quebec still is guaranteed a spot in the final, correct? Yeah, they they were guaranteed that spot in the yeah. final going into last night's game. So, and a lot of questions were: Will the Remparts dress their best lineup? They did dress their best lineup. They dressed yeah. their number one goaltender. But I mean, when you, when you're playing, your back's against the wall against a team that had nothing to play for, just for pride. Uh, Peterborough was the team that emerged last night, so uh, they lived to play another day, and and we're still a four team tournament until uh, until further notice. And the difference this year is, well, it's been in a few. It's not like they have to play three in a row. Um, well, I, I guess technically they do because they have to play Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Like the semifinal uh-huh. is hard, arguably harder because, you know, now the WHL players, not as much anymore. They used to have to play three and three. They just don't do it very often. And um, th- that's, to me, what makes this game so enticing tonight is they do get a break if you can win the semifinal, but the problem is if you lose tonight, Seattle or Kamloops, and then you win the tiebreaker, then you have to play again on Friday. So three and three is uh, is pretty tough when you're against like four of the best teams in the country. It's a little different when you play three on three, maybe in a, in a random November weekend when you're playing potentially you know a bottom feeder. That's not the case. That's yeah. why tonight's no. game, man. I honestly, you lose tonight, I just don't think you can win the tournament. I think it's too difficult. No. Yeah, you're, you're right. It is. I mean, you, you, your road to losing is Peterborough tomorrow, and then either Seattle or Kamloops uh, again, and then and then a well-rested Quebec team's waiting for you there on Sunday afternoon in the final. Uh, you're right. I mean, I think, and both teams know that. I mean, no one is going to go out and say this is an elimination game, but it almost feels like that because it is. It is such a long road back. And three and three, you're right. It doesn't happen very often. But you're playing the best 
teams in the nation right now, championship teams, and they jump on you if you're a little bit tired or you're weary. You play the night before. It's part of their game plan. They're smart. And you've got to win tonight if you want a shot at winning the Memorial Cup. No doubt. And any idea, John, why Friday's game is an 8 p.m. or, sorry, uh, 7 p.m. Uh, local start where the others are all 6? Well, I mean, this national tournament is pretty much dictated by your parent company, so I'm sure okay, so it's all uh, TV. It has something okay. to do with television. Yeah, I'm sure that's what it comes down to. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. Okay. You guys have a great day. That's uh, John Keane joining us, uh, voice of the Kamloops Blazers. Big game tonight. You can check it out on TSN Seattle and Kamloops. Uh, the winner moves on directly to the semifinal on Friday. The loser will have to play Peterborough in the uh, – I, I, are we going to call it the quarterfinals? I think we can call it the quarterfinals. I know they call it a plan game, but whatever. It's similar to a quarterfinal on Thursday, and then the winner would then play on Friday. So the loser tonight, if you lose tonight, you're basically playing, and if you want to win the tournament, you have to win by playing four games in, in five nights. Not ideal. So uh, lots on the line. Let's take a quick uh, Sports Center update with uh, Connor Halley. Brought to you by MC Dispatch. Same-day courier company. You can move any size package promptly and efficiently. Go to mcdispatch.com.